This episode of Big Stick Energy is brought to you by Woodchuck Hard Cider. For over 30 years, Woodchuck has been creating unique and innovative hard ciders. They now offer direct shipments of cider through their website, www.woodchuck.com. Over there, you'll find information on all the current offerings and updates on any new products. Woodchuck Cider, America's original hard cider. Asama Dits? I bet you all missed that sound because holy guacamole, it has been a hot minute. But this is... Big Stick Energy, the undomesticated outdoor podcast coming at you live on another Monday. It is our first Monday debut in 2022. And holy guacamole, are we freaking excited? My name is Tori Anderson. I am one of five co-founders of the Womb Tang brand. You can find me at Tori Aileen on Instagram. And I am here with my double trouble, double trouble partner for life, Renee McCurdy. She is also one of the five co-founders of the Womb Tang brand. And you can find her at Renee McCurds on Instagram as well. Um, yeah, what is up, my dudes? It's been a freaking minute. We just wanted to say thank you for your patience with us while we got our poop in a group over December. Um, we were graduating university. That's what I got up to. What was Renee doing? She's doing her master's. And we went and shredded some powder like the double trouble team that we are. And casually, two people got stabbed at the Ramada Hotel in Golden while we were there. So, you know, that's what's going on with us. <laughs> what's going on with the podcast? We've got some really cool shit coming your way over the next little bit. We're working with some brands. We're trying to figure out how to pivot Womb Tang to the next level, starting to develop courses like deeper community interactions, some merch launches, and we're really fucking stoked about it. So to start off 2022 with a bang, we are coming at you with a super hot episode with Katie Burrell, and Renee's going to get into that in a minute. Before we get there, I just wanted to invite everybody, like, if you're down with the podcast, if you believe in this mission and you want to see this kind of like progress to the next level, we would really love it if you could leave a review for us on the Out of Bounds uh, Network website, Apple Music, Spotify, any of those platforms, because we all know algorithms pretty much own us today on social media. And the more interaction that we get online, the more ears we're going to get this messaging and this education into. So if you can leave us a review, leave us a dad joke. We don't really care. Just freaking write something. It's going to help us kind of push this movement forward. And that's what Out of Bounds Network is all about. We're breaking boundaries. We're changing the industry. So let's do it together, motherfuckers. I'm so sorry. I really need to stop staring on the internet. Anyways, Renee is going to tell you about our guest today. Katie freaking Burrell. Like, what is there to say? You should already know it. But also, who is Katie Burrell? Because... We learned this in this episode. She's a lot of things. This lady has a lot of hats, a lot of very cool, very stylish hats. She is the queen of satire, best le leisure skier that you ever seen. And one thing that we learned, which we already kind of knew, is that she's a freaking genius. Next but level genius. Like, all there is to say. <laughs> low key role model after this episode and was actually a huge inspiration in us developing the womb tang brand like everything that she's done and it is so cool to see who the woman is behind the lens because she is genuinely like one of the most hardworking and i don't know i guess super intelligent intelligent she's just a fucking genius and katie's probably gonna listen to this and be like oh shucks she's gonna get all weird it's gonna be all cute and stuff but it's fine <laughs> um who is katie burrell with katie burrell <laughs> this is another katie burrell, <laughs> katie burrell. <laughs> say it again katie burrell maybe <laughs> someone needs to make a song about this anyways 
This is our first episode in 2022. Thank you for coming back and joining us today. And yeah, we hope you enjoy it. Another episode of Big Stick Energy dropping in three, two, one. Okay, so first of all, we were kind of talking about it briefly before we started recording, but you mentioned that like we're trying to do boomtang and activism and everything through like a comedic lens. And we just have to say that you've been a huge inspiration for that because the way that you tackle some of these topics is priceless. Like all of your... Like my boyfriend's teaching me how to mountain bike videos. I lived that this summer. I was like, I've identified so hard. Like these are my internal thoughts, but Katie is just putting them onto the internet for me to watch. It was a wild experience, like posting the first one and it just going like the way it went. Like we were just kind of looking at each other like, oh, I guess this is not just me, you know, like just the comments, the DMs, the new followers, like everything was just, it was overwhelmingly yeah, it was hilarious for my team because we were like, is this funny? <laughs> you know what I mean? Are, pe- are people, are people going to get this? And like Liv Cycling, the brand that we were working with who are amazing. Um, they were a little hesitant and a little nervous about some of it because they're such a, they're so pro like creating a space for women to do sport and bike and be in there and it, like they don't want anyone to feel made fun of they don't want anyone to feel left out they don't want to feel anyone excluded they don't want to be regressive female stereotyping like just so much thought into all of this stuff and we were like you can kind of get away with it with comedy plus I'll be the scapegoat and you guys don't have to be like let's just try with the first one and we made the decision to not even launch the first one on their channel at first like we we're just gonna see it on what happened on mine and it went and people were going nuts for it because no one was offended. I think there was one person that reached out to me that was offended. And we can talk about that if we if we want to, because it's kind of interesting. But um, there was literally everyone was just like, thank you. Yes. OK, we're laughing about this. Great. I'm like, at the end of the day, you're literally riding a bicycle in the woods. So let's not take it so seriously, you know? Yeah. Well, like. <clears throat> one thing like a key brand attribute that we wanted to have with Tang is like a lot of women's focused initiatives or groups are very like stereotypical feminine or they're almost too wholesome. Mm. It's like you want to see a little bit of sass. You want to see like a little bit of like personality coming through like that satire aspect and like there's no right or wrong way to express femininity and your sexuality and it's like why are these things automatically seen as like negatives or they're like hyper focused on it's just like I don't know it's it's a funny experience and I feel like girls also don't give themselves the space to like react authentically like is what it's what you see in your videos like that was I remember Mm. there was a point where I was biking uphill with my boyfriend and I was like I actually hate going uphill like I hate ski touring he was like well I guess we're not going to be spending that much time together this winter and I was like excuse me and it was just like this whole fight and I was like nobody talks about that stuff it's like just be a badass don't talk about those hard days or like getting into it and trying well, it's cool, it's, but everything has been being everything has been seen through the lens of the male like through the male gaze or the lens of the patriarchy like sorry to sound like a broken record but that's nope. what it has been like so it's like you got to be a hot girl you got to be a chill girl you got to be a fun girl you got to be sporty like and then to like exist in these spaces you have to like be sick and do it and not talk and not fuss and not complain, not whine, like all these things so that you're like hot and chill and fun. I'm just like, fuck that. I'm literally dying back here. Like I have to say it. And for me, it was like, it's always interesting to me when 
I like chuck shit on the internet and people are like, oh my God, like the, the subversive feminine. And I'm like, oh, I was literally just cracking a joke about my own personal experience. But like, I really appreciate that you guys have taken like so much more meaning out of it. I'm like, you're making me feel like I'm a genius over here, but I'm just like fucking around, you know? Um, but anyway, I feel like, <laughs> but I feel like the, the part, well, so are you guys, but, uh, the part that, the part that makes me like, yeah, the part that I can always come back to is I'm like, I'm literally just speaking from my experience and that you can't like fault me for that. You can't tell me it's not my experience. It simply is my experience. So there's no arguing, yeah. you know? Well, the womb tank thing gains so much movement because speaking from our experience and like the issues that we saw in the industry, um, like I, I actually created womb tank for a school project and I designed the personality around key pain points of like, uh, women in the industry kind of having being forced to mold into this masculine space and created a personality that like kind of challenged that in a mm. sassy way. And the number of people that have emotionally connected with it, like we get DMs from people telling us that they, you know, they've never felt like they belonged until womb tang and they finally met people that share their experiences and they've been able to progress with and they feel like they're invested in. And like when there's that big of a collective shared experience, which I think has been seen through your work as well, it shows that there's serious shit that needs to change in the industry. Totally. So, yeah. yeah. And when no, you I get something like you get something good and you just hit the right point that like you don't know everyone else is as fired up as you are about it. But like, I remember the first time I made a meme about not having stiff boots for women. It was a joke about boot flexes and it went off and it was just like so many new followers shared all over the place. And you're just like, okay, it's not just me. No. So all those times that the reps told me there is no market, maybe there is a market. And it yeah. like really just like got a wheel spinning for us. And then well, now that, there's the 130 cool boot. Thing. That's the cool thing about the... <laughs> like as toxic as social media can be, that's the that's the one cool thing about it. It's literally like a little mini microcosmic democracy. And you're literally like memes, you're you're rubbing you're running like uh what it starts with the P, um the where you do the votes, the the vote like Petition? Uh, no Propaganda? Sort, sort of, but I can't think of the exact <laughs> the exact term right now where it's like you run a vote where there's a poll. like a, a poll. No, it's it's a more no technical term where you're running a referendum and you're like you have this or you have that it didn't start with a p that doesn't start yeah. with a p how a referendum where they i wish like that i could read <laughs> katie burrell's mind but i cannot <laughs> an r that's not a p i was missing the little kickstand um anyway it's like you're, you're chucking it out to the world and then it's like look i literally have the stats here like this is what the people want this is what people yeah. think this is how people feel the numbers don't lie. The comments don't lie. The message, you know what I mean? So I, I think it's sweet in that sense where you can actually, um, you've seen, we've seen lots of cool stuff. I mean, I think about Christina Lusenberger and Ian um, McIntosh and, and Nick McNutt a few years ago with the Peeps Beacon and, or I guess last year or two years ago, I can't remember, but the Peeps Beacon scenario and how that went, it's like things actually can come from the ground up if there's enough of a there's a critical mass around it, you know? Yeah. And so the mirrors went off too. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, we actually talked about this in our, our episode with Jay from Jay skis. Cause he was, he's like old school ski dude. Doesn't really understand like this whole social media, um, I guess like community that's shifting for change. Like he was so shocked that people were posting all over the internet about that whole pro choice debacle. 
that happened. He was like, I guess that's just the culture today. Like people just take to the internet. And we just explained it to him uh, in terms of like protests, like protests used to happen in person, right? It's like a community coming together, but like the share of information, the speed of it, and like the the breadth of it through social media leads to significant change. And that's why we've seen massive waves with Tang, And we've had like uh, high level conversations with different businesses and like our our next kind of pivot for Tang is to keep developing the community but also create like a consultation service where we can test recommendations where I use my education to help them innovate to make their business more inclusive wow. uh, with the community that we've created so That's it's changing so cool. yeah I like I'm like we were talking before about being um, a public activist with this stuff and it is really freaking hard it's walking a tight line but I like, I don't want any chick to grow up or anybody to feel up, grow up feeling like they don't belong in this industry. And like, it's a small piece to change mm-hmm. in a very broad societal prob pro- like area. But I feel mm-hmm. like, I don't know, we're all kind yeah, of ride the, or die. Like the, outdoor, the outdoor industry is really sick training wheels. Like I, no shade at the outdoor industry, but like, I've always kind of gotten a kick out of it in the sense that people that are very invested in it are like, it's the only place you can be in the world is in the outdoor industry. And they, they, the level of care that a lot, a lot of people have is incredible. I don't have the same care for like depth of caring for the outdoor industry. And I don't know, I don't know, fault me for that. You, you could, or, or you could, not, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that makes me a bad person. I'm like, I, I simply just don't care that much about it. Like, I, I think it's an incredible place. I think it's great. I think going outside is great. I think sports are lots of fun. I think people that I've met doing all this stuff is awesome. I think the opportunities are amazing and we're super privileged to be able to have this stuff. But this outdoor industry stuff, sometimes I'm like, can we just take a step back? And so for you guys, I look at it and I'm like, this is a, this is a training wheels scenario. You look at skiing, you look at biking, you look at outdoor activities, you look at an imbalance, you see that, you understand what the new model is that you can take, and then you can take it and you can apply that framework elsewhere. Because this is, a, it's a small industry, ultimately, basically, everyone knows everyone. So it's like, <laughs> how big can it be if pretty much everyone knows everyone? You know what I mean? Like, but yeah. there, there's like tons of other even bigger uh, industries in the world that have similar or different imbalances. And the model that you're creating to shift that can be can be reapplied over and over. Um, so it's really neat work that you guys are doing. I just wanted to say. Thank you. Yeah, that means a lot. I um, I actually did it the opposite. I studied uh, like systemic oppression on a uh, much broader level. So understanding like all of the systems and injustices that are woven into society, understanding like the patterns, cause and effect, looking at it through multiple different lenses, whether it's economic, social, legal, um, like resource-based. And I actually use that to create the system to change the ski industry, Mm. which is, yeah, it was kind of like a reverse application because my entire life, like the more that I noticed these patterns, the more research that I did, the more upset I got because I felt like I couldn't do anything. And I felt like I was constantly ramming my head against a wall when I'd get into conversations with people and I would notice the words that they use, the narratives that they were sharing, and also their previous experiences and how it, how it upheld these harmful narratives and systems in society. But when I would point it out to them, they would get really upset. So that's where the idea to tackle it through humor came in because it's yeah. approachable, right? And oh, it's for like, sure. yeah, nobody likes this- to be told anything. 
basically. No, they don't. But if you can, if you can use humor as a way to get around to it, it's much more effective. And we're trying to remain like, we really don't want to do this cancel culture thing because ultimately we can't move forward if we don't do it together. We mm -hmm. need everybody to see it together. So mm -hmm. yeah, but it's, it's a small slice that we can change, but I feel like it's going to make a really big impact in other people's lives and getting results, like you said, means that it can be applicable elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. When I say like, um, when I say like applicable elsewhere, I just mean like the outdoor industry isn't the, necessarily the be all end all of, of your life's work, you know, doing this. Oh, stuff. definitely not. Yeah. I like going to university. I was like, I want to work in the outdoor industry. And now I'm like, oh, dang, I'm actually interested in a lot more than that. But mm. here, here we are. It just yeah. worked out. Yeah. Um, we skipped I, over some stuff. Yes, we, we did. We haven't even like properly introduced you. Yeah. I don't think Katie Burrell needs an introduction. But oh. like, uh-oh. <laughs> 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 but actually, like, who is Katie Burrell? Like, who oh, is God. Katie Do Burrell? we know? <laughs> no. I, well, if you know, please let me know because I would love to know. I It is a question I ask myself regularly. Um is that a real question? Do I have to answer that? I'm like, right. I, I mean, I? maybe just like anybody who just, yeah, usually we if do you, like an if introduce someone, yourself. If someone happens to live under a rock in the ski and bike industry and hasn't seen one of your fire hilarious videos. You guys are so nice. <clears throat> well, um, it's a funny question because uh, I was in Mexico on a holiday recently with my friend and, and we met, we just met some some people at the hotel bar and they were like well what do you do I was like what am I gonna tell these people that I do for a living like <laughs> they're like one guy was like a software tech developer for like sorghum and fields the other was like a personal trainer there's the other was like just jobs you can like conceptualize I was like I'm an actor that's like what I said I, I just didn't know what else to how else to explain it to adults in society could you like, blanket as comedian? You know what? I, I used to say comedian, but there's this there's this thing where if you're not doing stand-up comedy like five nights a week, comedians don't like it when people who aren't on the ground hitting mics say comedian. So really? I, I remember learning that a while ago. And I, I if I'm not doing stand-up regularly anymore, I don't say I'm a comedian because I'm like not grinding um, on the mic circuit uh, at the moment. And I don't know if I will again for a long time, maybe ever, hard to say. But um, so I don't say comedian necessarily. I think other people would describe me as a comedian because they're like, you've done stand-up, you're a stand-up comedian. Like you're a comedian. Um, for me, I'm like, Lately, actually, I've been working with an embodiment coach and she said, just you're you like we've just I'm just me. Um, I'm just being me and I'm a creative person. So my the different ways I'm feeling like I need to express at certain times in my life are how I'm showing up at that time. And I'm constantly trying to evolve. I get bored really easily. I hate repeating jokes but I also love to entertain so I'm like fine I'll do more <laughs> toxic girlfriend videos uh because I love making people laugh um you know social media content is one part of what I do and then we have I have a whole other project like a you know projects I'm working on I'm working on a feature film at the moment um that we're shooting in Tahoe this year I'm actually just allowed to start talking about it 
publicly now because deals are signed, producers are hired, casting is happening, um, locations are getting locked in. Um, I've been working on a screenplay for the last year um, with my writing partner, Andrew, in LA. And um, screenplay is finally locked is the shooting script. Um, and then we, we work with a lot of brands in, in marketing as well. So there's, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts right now for me and my team. Um, but it's a very exciting time. And I think I'm probably undergoing a little bit of an identity evolution as well. So I um, have a hard time <clears throat> saying what I do. Like, I'm a director, I'm a writer, I'm an actor, I'm a comedian, I'm a social media content creator, I'm a uh, an influencer, I'm a public speaker, I'm a, you know what I mean, like a host, like, I, there's lots of different things I've done and I'm doing, but I, I don't know what you say when it's like, well, in this moment in time, I am currently working on, you know what I mean? It's always like my, I kind of get, I stumble over my tongue. If that's an expression, I don't know, whenever anyone asks me. And then my friend I was traveling with like gave me shit after she's like, are you having imposter syndrome when those people were asking you what you do? Or were you just, I was like, kind of, I just also feel like saying I'm an actor, make, if you haven't heard of me, makes me sound like I must be a shitty actor. So I want to say that, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, like Leonardo DiCaprio isn't like, I'm an actor. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> like, I'm Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I'm a, I'm like a, I'm a, I'm an, I, I'm in an, I'm a Swiss army knife. I'm in, in a growth moment. Let's say that yeah. I'm in a growth moment. Um, but yeah, I'm a creative, I guess. That's say. rad. It's, it's it's hard cool to define. To it is hard to find. Yeah. It's really cool to see, like, I don't know, to hear all of that because I feel like Renee ne and I have never met you before. It's great to actually meet you and talk you to you. Too. But like, we, yeah. we don't know all the stuff that happens behind the scenes and like to hear all of these other things that you have going on. And, you know, social media is really weird because you you create totally. this this persona that people think is you. A hundred percent of the time. Like I remember like in high school for me, I was bullied so much and mm. all the assholes that bullied me still follow me on social media. And now when I see them around like Calgary, cause I moved back to go to university, I get like, Oh, you're so cool. You're so this. I was like, yo, I'm still the little weirdo that like shaved her head for cancer in grade 12 and really liked lizards. Yeah. You just think I'm cool because of what I post on social media. Yeah. And it's, it's really odd how you can shape these like ideas of who yeah. you are you're shaping a narrative you yeah. are yeah it's so it's so interesting to me because I mean I talk about this all the time with my team and I'm just so grateful for the, th the three of them like um I mean it's expanding at this this point like I should say I shouldn't just say it's the three of us the four of us anymore because of this team that's come together around the feature as well but the three core Ryan Sophie and Colleen who I work with on a daily basis like we're always kind of talking about like how's this going to show up how's that going to show up like what what do we want to do with this what do we want to do with that well people really want to see this so just do it again well i don't want to do that i want to evolve well what do you what about this well, you know how this brand wants that this brand wants this like well i feel censored if i'm doing it like that well that's not who i am like that you know there's these these conversations are ongoing all of the time behind the scenes and then people out in the world see like a one minute video and and it that those one minute videos speak to, you know, like a, a 16th of, or that's a, I'm just bad at math. I can't think of a bigger fraction than that, but there's like a, 
it's such a small fraction of what we're actually trying to create or do. And I think too, like with, when we started like hitting some stuff for people, like it's stuff we were creating really started resonating. I think like as early as dream job three years ago, I would say like, we we kind of were going like, Oh fuck, we're getting this reaction. Like, Oh, Oh, it's, it's startling in a way too, like for, for, to, to get feedback from people. Like, and then for me, like I, I was getting very like worried, um, that I wasn't like, you know, giving people new con, new jokes, new this, new that, like keeping them on their toes, like always shifting, ever like entertain, like entertaining, you know, pushing the envelope. Like maybe they think I'd sold out because of it. Like you could just spiral out so hard in your head of beating yourself up for whatever it is that you're doing, you're creating. And um, I actually just took social media off of my phone for the last like two weeks, and because my the I was just so burnt out frankly like in all areas of my life and it was like I had I was down in Tahoe for a location scout uh for this movie and um which is a rom-com set in the ski industry sidebar uh but I (laughs) I was there and I was like you know like the producers bless them they're so awesome they just they made Buried which is won the audience choice award at at Whistler this year the runner-up sorry and audience choice award at Mountain Film and um they had rented me this like amazing Ford Bronco and I had this great hotel and I was staying in one of their beautiful homes. And I was like eating the, my writing partner, Andrew and I, we went to the Ritz for a meal and I was just like, I'm, I can't appreciate any of this. I'm just exhausted. And it was like, when you get to that point where these like incredible things are happening around you and you're like, I just want to go home. Like you kind of have to reevaluate. And so talking with my coach, it was like, okay, it's time to take a step back and like, literally like you talk about like a leaky gut like when you're eating like too much bread and shitty food and drinking and your gut gets shitty like but my brain had started to feel like that I had like a leaky brain it felt like where Colleen my DP and she'd be like talking to me and I would start she told me I would start a sentence and I would just stop and go else and she's like where's your brain and I I, we had so much on our plates and so much going on I, I couldn't think straight anymore so I just took a huge step back um, over the holidays and, and this last, last week as well. And then we started filming again. We started like, I started writing again, you know, I was like, okay, I had to come back to like what I love about it in the first place. And it truly is just about self-expression. Um, as selfish as, as that might sound like it's self-expression with the intent to entertain. And that is my first and purest love and I had like kind of lost it for a bit there. So just taking that space to, to come back to it. And now I'm like, all right, the wheels are kind of turning again. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm literally like on a, the, the most, I'm on a ramp. What's the right rampage ramble. Anyway, all of them. The Next R's. You can go through all the R words. <laughs> Next <Yeah>. question. <laughs> no. Burnout. Burnout is real. But yeah. you know, I think it is healthy to take a break from that. Like I work in healthcare. I'm a nurse. I think most people who listen probably have realized this, but I just started a new job in emergency this week. And so I took a whole month off and I just went home and I skied and I hung out with my dog and I chilled because I could just feel all this anxiety just like bubbling up inside me. And then mm. COVID, like while I was gone, COVID starts like going nuts kind of going nuts but I like still feel kind of okay going back to it 
because I just went home and I skied and I reset myself and I just needed to slow that all down. Mm-hmm. And even like, there's just so much happening with Wim Tang and it grew so much. It also got to a point where like, we had to take a step back from that and be like, okay, we, we didn't even record any episodes last month because we were just like, I can't deal with this. Yeah. I have too many things and I am not organized and yeah. my life is chaotic. <laughs> I mean, the internet makes us feel like we're supposed to be outputting all of the time because all we're ever seeing is, all we're ever getting is input. So for us to feel like we're a part of that is to feel like we're outputting, you know? Um, And for me, like, I'm not built like that. I'm I'm simply not. Like, I I look at content creators, for example, who who put out, like, three videos a week or TikTokers who do, like, a video every day. I'm like, literally how? Like, I... I don't know if I'm creating different kind of content than, than that, like that digital kind of quick turnaround stuff or what, but I'm like, I hats off to them. Like I, I can't do it. And I'm, I just don't know if I was honoring that necessarily. Like I was, I've been so worried about my audience and building my audience and wanting my, like wanting to my work to reach people because I care about that. And like thought that, putting out more work would mean that the opportunities that I really want would come through, which were, you know, this movie. And then it came through and now I'm backtracking going, well, I have to, I have like two months to prep this movie. And I have like all this social media work that I had stacked up or all this marketing brand work that I had stacked up that I have to, you know, get off the desk before this comes through. And, and then you start kicking yourself. Cause you're like, why can't I, do it. Why can't I do it all? You know? And you're like, right. Cause I'm literally not a robot, but yeah. Rest well, is I healthy just... though. Sorry, Tori, I'm interrupting you. But if I could just say one thing, <laughs> like, if you Katie worked in an office, like nine to five, you would have weekends off every time. And like, I don't know how you do your schedule, but you mm-hmm. would have like your however many weeks off every year paid time off. So you still deserve to take that no matter what. And like, if you've been going, go, 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 you deserve to take those two weeks off because you can't just work all the time. It just like does it's not sustainable. So I mean, like if you're self scheduling, like you still can like take the time off you need. It's freaking totally. healthy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, like when social media becomes an extension of your work, and like you guys are saying, like you're sh- shaping a narrative of of a persona of a version of yourself on there, and so you're it's very much requiring you to be on I'm not like rolling onto social media and being like yo sup like I feel fat like I need a snack like what's happening like these are my demons like (laughs) lying in my bed you know what I mean like I'm not like vlogging on social media I'm like putting out content engaging responding to dms trying to create my goal had been comedy on there right so it's that was that 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 requires a bit of heavy lifting um but it also requires just being switched on so it's like your phone's in your hand like I want to say 80% of the day you're just you're doing emails you're doing whatever and you're on Instagram or TikTok and you're just engaged and it's like you're in for me I'm engaged also partly as a persona so I'm doing I'm like responding kind of in a care in character in a character version of my you know what I mean it's like an eighth of who I really am so it's like it's extra draining because I'm performing you know what I mean and when I used to do stand-up it was like I'd sit on the bus I'd get off the bus I'd walk into the show 
I'd have to be on for five minutes. My heart would pound for like 10 minutes before I was on stage for five, 10, 15 minutes, get off stage, go home, chill till you do it the next night. You know what I mean? Whereas with social media, like it's just, it's, it, it can be all the time if you let it be. Um, which I think for a long time I had good boundaries with. And then in the, I want to say in the last like, uh, year when we kind of pivoted away from making long form movies, like with, um, for the COVID year, we were like, we have everything we need in the house. Let's just do content. Um, I became like kind of obsessed with like feeling like I needed to get back to every single person that DM me. Like, I'm like, these are all people that took a moment to message me something important. I have to respond to them. And it's like, that alone, like people are like, yo, you're not responding to everyone, are you? I'm like, no, why? What does it look like I'm doing over here for the last three hours? <laughs> so I don't know. I just, I, I needed to rethink on how the, how this was going to, how it's all going to work, you know? Everything that you just said, I identify with on such a deep level. I literally in February to my psychologist was like, I feel like I have to perform in every interaction that I have. I was like, I don't feel like I've had a moment to just be me. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what me is anymore because there's yeah. like CEO Tori who's articulate and educated and is business strategy focused. There's like skiing Tori. There's like dealing with brands Tori. There's school totally. Tori. There's like, I was like, and also the, I think honestly the pandemic has influenced it a lot because we haven't been able to socialize with people in person, which mm-hmm. creates this immediacy for replying and interaction online. Everybody knows you're there. So they expect it at the drop of a hat. And it just like, and we probably expect it of ourselves to degree as well. We do a hundred percent. And when you are like, I have a degree, I actually just finished university this December. Whoop, whoop. I'm almost 30, but we did it. Um, Thank you. But I uh, like, wait, where was I going with that? You have a degree in Oh, thank you. I'm back. I'm okay. I had one beer. I'm a lightweight. Um, <laughs> I uh, I have a degree in like a, a bachelor in business administration with a major in marketing and a minor in entrepreneurship and innovation. And like I, the way that I've studied social media or any type of interactions like that, I can't turn off the business brain. So everything right. is intentional, which a lot of people don't realize. Like I was even talking about TikTok content on the chairlift the other day and the way that I was talking about how it's trained people to expect certain things with content consumption on other platforms. Like you have to keep attention, you have to create value and like going into like how it psychologically influences behavioralistics and like everything. And this this guy on the chair, this guy in the chairlift was like, so it's not just dancing online? I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> I was like, it's all very tailored. Oh, I'm like, like, it could like, seriously, I mean, think about just the, I mean, the psychology of trying to go viral. Like that is alone a brain trap that, you know, and then the psychology of going viral once and then, you know, no one's seeing your next thing. Like people get banged up about it. Like it really, you know, and when for me, like we're doing it for work, and I'm always worried that the client's gonna be like, "Ugh, Asama dudes, we're gonna have a quick ad break." Sorry, interrupting the flow, but thank you, Teddy, for this opportunity. On another note, how many of you use different apps when you're traveling into the backcountry or when you're trip planning? They are literally 
a super valuable tool that will help you plan something safely so you can take maps, you understand conditions. And we're super grateful to be partnering with ONX uh, to be bringing you this episode today. They're a core sponsor for the Out of Bounds Network moving into 2022, and they really align with a lot of our values. ONX is a guidebook in your pocket. It's easy to use. It's simple. It allows you to save maps offline use slope shading, and it's an additional resource to kind of help you with that trip planning process. Unfortunately, this ad is for our USA honeys. It's not in Canada yet, but it will be super soon. And honestly, we are so freaking stoked to get it. You can go check them out at www.onxmaps.com and you can use out of bounds, O-U-T-O-F-B-O-U-N-D-S, no spaces to get 20% off premium subscription. We can't wait to try this in Canada when it does get here, but they're working with multiple different tech software companies to bring you a fully inclusive data experience to help make that backcountry planning a little bit safer. And we all love it when a chick pops out in the backcountry with her own tech and software to make sure that she is playing safe and kind of leading the crew because that's the vibe that we want to support. So go check them out today, www.onxmaps.com. And you can also check them out and download the app to your site and get 20% off with the code we mentioned previously. Play safe, my dudes, get after it. <laughs> well, you went viral over here. Like, why didn't you over here? Like, or this thing, that, and this thing didn't. We paid you the same amount of money as that company did. Like, or I mean, they don't know that, obviously, but Teddy's having a literal aneurysm in the back room. Can you hear him? Sorry. I, I was. I was going to say, like, hey, everybody, let's just, like, acknowledge Teddy real quick. Yeah, Teddy's my couldn't be on the show. Chinese rescue dog who is my son uh, at this point and has the most, like, he's very cute, but he's the definition of cute but psycho, like, walking. And he is gets the woofs when he doesn't get enough exercise, and it's been too cold to run his ass into the ground lately and for a 17 pound floof he's the (laughs) most high active dog I've ever met I'm like anyway he gets he's got the wolf so I had to put him in the back room but um maybe we just pause and I go deal with him and we can come back sure we can do that one second yeah teddy tea break man everything she just said I identify with so hard I'm just like like I can't. I didn't hear what you just said because you unplugged in the middle of your sentence. Sorry. That's you guys can the beauty of post production. You can edit that out. Exactly. It's like it's freaking online. Everything's curated, like we were discussing. Yeah. But yeah, it's a uh, no. But the, actually... the psychology of, of virality, if you will, or I don't even know what it what the term would be. But I, I, I worry about it. Like if I have kids one day, like don't worry about going viral. I can't imagine thinking about that when I was like eleven playing Lost Kids. You know what I mean? That was my game. Oh, yeah. I played imagination game. Anyway. When I was a kid, it was like Nexopia was a thing. And it was like, let me show you how emo I am. My chemical romance. I got my hair cut and dyed the underneath black. Here's how thick my eyeliner was. And that was pretty much it. It was like an emo portfolio for everybody else. But it wasn't like, <laughs> right? Hilarious. Seeing my 16-year-old cousin grow up through this, like we went shopping and she's pulling up all these like influencers and her style and what she's posting. She's getting like 600 likes on photos. And I'm just like damn 
it's it's very peculiar. It's it's a weird time that we live in. And the more that yeah. I've studied marketing, like marketing is all about understanding human behavior, psychology, and how to manipulate it through like emotional stuff. It's really weird. Mm -hmm. Like any leader's goal is to achieve a high level of emotional resonance with a brand. And it can mm -hmm. be done authentically or it can be done like very surface level, which is what a lot of marginalized groups are currently experiencing with companies mm -hmm. saying they're inclusive, but they're not actually inclusive. And it's like, you know. That, 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 that drove me absolutely up the wall the like black square with the white lettering like we've heard you and now we're gonna do period better period I'm like fuck off like get your black square <laughs> with your white writing out of here like you're just it's like go okay, do but... it go do it like it's such virtue signaling it drove me nuts I was just like yeah if I I mean I'm obviously a white hetero <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious anyway that I'm a white hetero woman and I've had little to no trauma in my life other than like some bullies in the schoolyard in third grade which my therapist would say you know all of our all our traumas is equal but it's not like frankly and um like just watching that stuff I was like man if I had if I was in any other group I don't even know how I would be able to stomach this like I could I could from as an empath I could just <laughs> only sort of touch the tip of the iceberg of the level of frustration and yeah, that that would have caused for for people. Anyway, I know it's that feeling of like, like I um I recently found some really cool stuff out about my brain, but I'm not really ready to share it with the internet yet. Um, but sure. that level of like, I think it's sympathy. It's like mirroring or like deep sense of empathy for like injustice and pain for something someone's experienced that is not due to anything they did other than just being born who they are. Mm -hmm. That is so upsetting for me. And what's mm -hmm. even more upsetting is when you talk to somebody who is privileged, um, who is like the majority, has power in a society about how something they're doing is problematic, when they get upset and offended that you are challenging something, like when they're flexing their privilege super hard, that is also very confusing to me because I'm just like, this situation does not inherently affect your quality of life, your mental health, your well-being, financial stability, but you were upset that I am challenging you that you were privileging from those other people actually suffering. Yeah, that it's like this me it's like this crazy so level of defensiveness that I, I, I can't I, I, I don't I can't imagine it. Like I think I sometimes run maybe too far the other side where I'm like, it's my fault. Where did I I failed you? How did it's my fault? Like, you know what I mean? Like and when I see other people or brands or companies like kind of pushing back or like not wanting, I'm just like, you're probably missing the mark here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think everything needs to be problematic. I don't think everything needs to be an issue. In fact, I have had a hard time online in the last year with some of the, some of it has felt overdone to me. I'm like, oh, okay. Like it, it's whatever it's, it is what it is. Like not everything is problematic. But um, when there's a level of defensiveness, as soon as you see that, you're like, oh, you have there's something in here for you. Because as soon as you get defensive, there's something to be learned in my yes. humble experience with life. A hundred percent. This kind of like leads into like um, all of your stuff has an activist or feminist undertone. And we talked about previously how you're trying to tackle some of those things behind the the scenes. But all of your like videos that you have released do approach important issues from 
a satirical aspect. And a lot of people are like, it's kind of that who is Katie Burrell, but like what, what's the backstory behind getting into this? Like, how did you end up where you are today? Um, I mean, without sounding cheesy, it's like, like, (laughs) it's like a Gabby Bernstein book, like smashed with like a Lacey Phillips podcast. Um, which are maybe kind of two niche of references, but not if you're into like manifestation. (laughs) Uh, But I think when you, so this is a two part question I kind of want to tackle first being like the feminist undertones or the satire or satire in and of itself. And, and what that has meant to me or how that has become a a form of self-expression for me. First of all, I mean, at its core, I can remember studying um, like, I studied political science in university and I remember one of the courses I took were, were the like frameworks or ideologies of, of whatever. Uh, and one of them was just like feminism, like that, the feminist take. And I remember like, what, what does that mean? Like how, how do you, how does this work in politics in the same way that there's like neocolonialism, colonialism, realism, etc. Um, and I was like feminism. And I, so I, dove into it a little bit and I remember reading an essay on the feminist take on um or like the feminist framework of the Vietnam War and how if there had been women in power in the U.S. at that time how the how feminist ideologies would have shaped the way the outcome of the the Vietnam War the way that it would have gone or how many less years it would have been for example I was like oh this seems like a bit you know anachronistic and maybe a bit of a reach and maybe there's but maybe there's also something here with the way that, you know, without overgeneralizing stereotypes between fem, fem, or women and men and how they move in the world. Um, but it stuck with me, like just, and understanding feminism from that standpoint stuck with me. And I've had many a conversation in the last, yeah, 15 years of my life about what feminism means to different people. And um, I mean, I think the, there, there are still people out there that don't, understand that it doesn't mean hating men or tearing men down or um, bringing men down. It, it doesn't mean that at all. It, and it doesn't even necessarily mean, um, you know, raising women up to have more power than men or it being a power uh, struggle at all. It's, it's really about equality and it's really about um, allowing all of the different genders at this point and our, our understanding of gender to show up in the way that they're like, uh, yeah, shining, if that's not too um, light of a word to describe this, but like really being allowed to um, express. And so my understanding of feminism has always been that, like you're allowed to say what you want, when you want and how you want. And um, there should be an an equality for you as a woman to stand next to a man or a trans person and say, what you think um speak your opinion like it is not it does not need to be catered to anyone other than you and if your opinion's problematic okay you're going to be challenged and you're going to learn and that's fine but it it's ultimately your opinion and how much how much life experience you've had or education you've had or trauma you've had is going to inform that opinion so it's valid right um that is my understanding of it so when i started doing comedy it was from that and I've made so many mistakes and some of the jokes I did even like five years ago and stand up I'm like Jesus I probably wouldn't do that that one anymore you know just because of what we've learned and 
how we've evolved collectively. And, um, but for me, like the satire is my absolute hands down favorite kind of comedy because it's taking the truth and mirroring it back to people, um, with using yourself or in my case, using myself as the scapegoat. And, um, so you're not necessarily pointing fingers at anyone. It's not mockery. It's not, um, you know, goofy over the top. Well, it's over the top sometimes, but it's not, um, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not intended to be malicious or cutting in any way. It's simply mirroring. Um, but it can be offensive. I mean, I love the story of Stephen Leacock, who's a Canadian literature, uh, writer and he, he grew up in a small town in uh, Manitoba and he wrote the, the first piece of what is considered the first official piece of Canadian satire literature, Sunshine Sketches of a Small Town. And after he wrote it and the town got a hold of it, like, oh my God, Stephen's been published. He's a big, famous, fancy writer. There's a building at McGill, the university I went to, uh, named after him. And he, he was basically, once the town got a hold of this book, we're like, wait, this person sounds a little bit like me. And this person sounds a little bit like him and wait he's making fun of us and really what he's what satire does is just pokes it just pokes at the idiocies of daily life and how seriously we take ourselves and take the situations we find ourselves in and it it just sort of makes light of it uh without being cruel that's what i love about satire and so when i started doing content like um i just was like let me just use me my experience you know and we'll do it satirically so that it's you know i'm not pointing fingers at anyone and and i mean it hasn't been without hiccups like we made influencer i think four years ago and i someone created a instagram account that was like i think the handle was like katie burrell is a bully <laughs> it was like straight up that on the nose and i was like am i I'm like i'm sorry can we just Go back to that. What? Yeah. It had <laughs> zero followers and it was following zero people, but it would comment on all things that we posted. <laughs> Just the handle alone was like, okay, we got the message. Like, uh, should I start another handle that is satire is look it up or I don't know. Anyway. Um, but yeah, it was like, I I've tried to make myself the butt of the joke for the, the most of the, of the stuff I've done so that I, can't be accused of making fun of other people, but we're all so similar at our core that if it's resonating with you, you know, it's probably like you're, you're having a similar experience to I am in the world or something or something about my comedy is something about your experiences is, is aligning. So therefore, you know what I mean? But um, I just think that <laughs> sending like, I've thought a lot about like how I'm going to show up in this lifetime. Like, what am I going to do with my life and my voice and brain and go like, what am I going to do with it all? And it's like, well, I'm not, I'm frankly not going to be an activist. I, I frankly, I'm not, I'm not going to be uh, the CEO of a, of a brand. You know, I'm, it's just not what I'm going to do. I've, I've dabbled in lots of different things. I've worked in legal marketing, construction, whatever. I'm like, I'm going to, make people laugh at, at things in life so that we can evolve and move forward from things that have caused us pain. Maybe, hopefully, hopefully I could maybe do that for one to five people in my lifetime. I, I'd feel like, okay, 
great. I've contributed positively somehow. So for me, I'm like, the content is satirical in nature. It is feminist in nature, but it, it also is, can be misinterpreted. I know that it can, it can be misconstrued. I am aware of that. Uh, it can be taken the wrong way. That's fine. Ultimately, my intentions are <laughs> relatively pure. Um, and I'm ultimately speaking from my own experience. So that maybe answers the first part of your question, like why I choose and have chosen satirical feminist nature. But I also feel like I'm not going to do jokes about being a man in society because, you know, how the hell am I supposed to speak to that? Um, we can assume, but, you know, it's yeah. just, there's, they've got their own little whirlpool of problems yeah. as well. Yeah. So, as yeah, my dad just, says, if you assume, you make an ass of you, of you and me. me. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes. I think I used that in a bad joke. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the second part, <clears throat> the second part was how did it come to this? Like, how did it get here? Um, and I find that, I mean, I, I mean, maybe one day I'll be able to like conceptualize it all and give it some sort of like linear trajectory, but really it has just been about, ugh, it's, I don't want to sound pretentious, but instinct. Um, and also I am the worst at doing stuff I don't want to do. Like, uh, you know, those like videos of like the puppies being dragged along the ground by their leash with their like flat on the floor. That's what I'm like if I'm not okay or if I'm not into what I'm doing. I simply can't be fucked. And I've had so, I've had so many jobs. Like one of my old, one of my bosses or my boss at this, I worked at one of the like big three legal marketing or one of the big three law firms in the world. And I was in the legal marketing department in downtown Vancouver. And she and I are still in touch. And she's like, I'm just so glad you're doing what you're doing now because it was not lost on anyone in the department that how much you hated legal marketing. I'm like, what? Like, I thought I was being so good at that job. Like, I thought I was like, this copier and machine isn't working, but it's fun to try to figure it out. <laughs> but I was not doing it. Apparently I was like, fuck this piece of shit. God damn it. You know what I mean? So, um, I That's am fucking priceless. <laughs> sorry. She was like, you know, I love you, but we, we like, both know and yeah. you're okay. Let's move forward. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it was like, I tried, like I tried to do the safe thing. I like got a degree. I worked corporate jobs. I like found entertainment interesting. So I got a job as like a producer's assistant, you know, in commercials in Vancouver, secure job in that field. You know, it was like, I worked in marketing at, in heli skiing, like sort of, it was like dancing around what I've always wanted to do. Um, then I, you know, I took the leap quote unquote to do stand up. I started doing stand up, but I had a nine to five simultaneously. Like I, my dad taught me like in life, you want to have a planted foot and a pivot foot, like basketball two two foot jump stop. So you could pivot, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like always have that pivot foot. And what I remember one day I was like, we were talking about, I was going to, I was writing LSATs. So I was going to go to law school and uh, like <laughs> become an entertainment lawyer maybe. And I looked at him, I was like, 
dad, I think I have to travel. Like I have to just pick up both feet. Like I got to move. Like I, it's not going to work this, this. And we still joke about that moment where he just was like, yeah, I just was like, I don't know. And, and, and when I was working my last like nine to five, which I officially left in, um, I guess September of 2019. So it's been just over two years that I've been uh, on my own. Um, you know, people are like, take the leap. Like it's just take the leap. It's so thrilling. I don't even know what they say, but I'm like, or, I'm like, it's not a leap. It's a fucking free fall. It's awful. It's so scary. It's so stressful. Like I was in debt for a year. Um, my parents had to help me out, like trying to build a business, you know, what, figure out how I was going to show up in it. What is like, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be like a person that gets sent product and wears it and goes like, you should buy this. Thanks. Bye. You know what I mean? Like that was not the goal. Like I wanted to, I wanted to create, I wanted to entertain, but how do you do that? With what budget, with, for who, in what capacity, with who, how, where, you know what I mean? Like there were all these major questions and I kind of got pushed into the first kind of jump because I did a semester at UCLA and screenwriting. Um, and then I came home and we made dream job and I had a nine to five and I was like managing two jobs basically like with the screenwriting degree I was doing as well as the, um, full-time job at Micah, God bless them for letting me be as be who I am. <laughs> they were like, we support you. Um, which is super cool. And we've been able to work together since, but, and then a dream job kind of took off sort of unexpectedly. And this world tour literally like, it just like came out of nowhere. And I was like, I remember going to my boss at my camp being like, there's like a world tour for this like 15 minute thing we made. Like, I don't know what to do. She was like, you need to go on it. And I went on it and it was like, oh, I did it stand up at all these different spots around the world, like screen this movie. I'm like, Oh, like this is kind of what I need to be doing. Like, I don't really know what this is, but it's kind of this, like it's interacting with people. It's making them feel included. It's making them laugh. It's making them feel seen. It's like, you know, and then it was like, okay, we're going to then coach kind of came to be the free world tour, like Hedwig and Lorraine from that movie, like reached out and they're like, can you make a movie about this? And that was an interesting experience in and of itself because I think everyone thought us included, we were making a comedy and about a, a month or six weeks in Colleen looks at it and I looked at each other and we're like, yeah, this is not funny at all. This isn't going to be funny. This isn't a comedy. Like this is a crazy situation we've gotten ourselves into and the expectations of our audience at that time, the brands that had hired us, the athletes we were working with, the people on the tour, who were like observing us working, you know, everyone was expecting dream job too. I don't even know what they were. And we created this like totally out of the ordinary reality TV take on this dynamic between Hedwig and Lorraine that ultimately didn't work out that well for either of them in a way. And then COVID shut that down. And we kind of were like, we were just kind of getting going like, and our, things were kind of lining up and COVID hit and we looked at each other like, what the fuck are we going to do? And I moved into Colleen's house and it was like, <laughs> well, we have me and we have you. So we have a talent. We got a camera. Like that's, that's, that's all it takes. Right. Like, right. And we just sort of started creating stuff and it snowballed like 
crazy. Um, Arcteryx kind of took the first chance on us, me. They were like, they asked, can you make a funny video for COVID right now? Cause people are like sad and we, we did. And then other brands saw it and then other brands saw it and then other brands. And then it was all of a sudden, like next thing you know, it's like I have six ski suits and two bikes and this, and people want me to create in their products and it's turned into what it's turned into. And now I'm getting the opportunity to make a feature length film. So it's like, there isn't really a formula. It's, it's literally just like every day you show up and you don't give up and you stick to your, you listen to your instincts and you stick to your guns on, on stuff. Like when something feels off, you listen to it, you get it out of there. When something feels right, you keep it. If I don't put out stuff, I don't think it's funny. I'm like, if it doesn't work for me, it's not going out. We'll figure out a pivot with the brand. Like I've made my team reshoot stuff on low budget, whatever. Cause I'm like, we can't ever lose our integrity as creators. And, um, it's just kind of snowballed. And then I think ultimately like really what happened is people, um, they were tired of feeling excluded with F by epicness. Epicness is very exclusive and it I'm is. like the least epic person ever. And people were like, same <laughs> me too <laughs> and so that became what has you know it's it's like we did this together it's not just me it's like it's this is for everybody you know what I mean like everybody who's felt not that sick there's a place for you <laughs> you know what I mean um that's that's yeah. it though like that's totally it like you have created this idea of a leisure athlete and it's like kind of a joke but it's also like very real like people feel super seen by it because most of the people skiing out there that are buying skis are freaking leisure leisure athletes like they're totally. still there to have fun it like the idea of like leisure athlete it like i don't know i think it redefines what an athlete is in marketing and in social media and all this just stuff. Kind of like, you don't have to be get up at the crack of dawn to be a skier. Like you're posting your stories and people share all the time. Like they're hitting their first trail lift at 2 p.m. And it's like, congrats, you got out there. Like yeah. you're amazing. <laughs> it just it just puts the power back in the hands of um people that it wasn't in for a long time. I mean, it was like, I mean, I have all the respect in the world for professional athletes. I'm a personally huge fan of the 50 project. I love Cody. I've worked with him on things. He's a friend. Like I love watching those episodes. I'm like, but who's doing that with him? Like the one guy, Nick Russell, that goes out with him and Bjarne, who's a insanely fit freak of nature. Like what they're pulling off is incredible, but I'm like, who can do it? Do you know what I mean? Like who can actually do that? And there's all this other stuff that's like, or Alex Honnold for another great example. Do you know what I mean? It's like, who's at that level? Alex Honnold's at that level. Like no one else is at that level. That's why he is who he is, you know? So it's like, I have all the fucking love and respect in the world for those people. But I'm over here. It's like people were feeling like shameful almost that they were like, not that good. And I was like hearing it all the time. Like I coached for Leah Evans camp one time, never been asked back to coaching. I'm not sure why, but it was like, the, uh, I remember the girls just being like really embarrassed if they were like messing up. Like the, I was like, why do you care? Like you're a petroleum engineer. You're a doctor. You're a 
scientist. What are you guys worried about? Like, who cares if you're not that good at skiing? Like, it's a beautiful day. It's sunny. We can go slower. We get a break. Let's take a snack. Who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Like, um, and so to be able to like officially start creating a space in this world for people like to, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like very, uh, feels really good. You know what I mean? And at yeah. first I was quite nervous putting that coming onto the vocal team, for example, and putting out this jokes piece about leisure and then leisure camp and all this stuff, like snowballing as a result of it. And this leisure athlete thing, like, I'm like, I hope that professional athletes who've dedicated their lives to being, you know, elite at this sport, don't think this is me trying to be subversive or it's like, the Raina James, she's a character on Nashville, which is one of my favorite shows, but she says there's enough sunshine for all of us. I'm like, it's just shining some sun over here. It's not taken away from any, I don't want to take away from anyone else's sunshine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, like the whole thing that you said about like, it's intuitive. I kind of call that like the entrepreneurial intuitive slap chop method. It's like, <laughs> I'm just gonna freaking slap chop this shit. It's gonna go out. Does it vibe? It vibes. Do I think it's gonna vibe? I think it's gonna vibe. And then you just like launch, reevaluate and pivot if you have to. And mm. that's just like, totally. It's just, yeah, it's what you do. But like with Womb Tang in the beginning, um, the original concept was just to pass a class. That's all it was. Right. And then it snowballed into this massive thing. But at first I was just sharing content from women who were getting regular content who were really, really good. And then the co-founders came on like Chegg and Meg and Haley and Renee. And we started to notice this, notice this trend that there were girls messaging us who were like, how do I start a womb tang? Like, how do I do this? How do I have right. this girl crew? And we were like, okay. And then, you know, like we recognize that a lot of girl crews are – Again, it's that exclusivity of mm -hmm. performance and being able to do a sport really, really well. And women are inherently terrified to take up space learning because we're taught that's not acceptable. So we created this narrative that trying is hot. And mm. as we continued to push that narrative and we started to share content and really focused on like consumer generated content for inclusivity, we saw girls fucking blossom. Like mm -hmm. they were stoked. They were like, I don't care what the trolls are saying in the comments. I learned how to slide a box today and I've never been able to do that. And I just started skiing two years ago. Mm -hmm. It's like, that is freaking sick. Like you mm -hmm. belong. And that's what's led to this high level of inclusivity. And like, I'm in Fernie right now and on the chairlift, uh, uh, two, a couple days ago, I met this girl that said directly to my face, she was like, I really love what you guys are doing because there's other brands like Rude Girls. Rude Girls is doing amazing things, but they're still focusing on those girls that are really, really good. Mm. And she was like, you've made us feel so included. It's just so included. <clears throat> and yeah. that's all that anybody really wants. Well, and it's like you want the Rude Girls. You want I love watching the blondes. And I love yeah, watching yeah. the, the pink world girls. Like everyone, like there's it's sweet. It's so sick. Like seeing even just the other day, Michelle Parker, like shared a girl that's like 14 shredding around Tahoe. And I'm like very fixated on Tahoe right now. Cause I'm like, who can stunt ski for this movie? <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> creeping on all these people, but um, <clears throat> it's like, that's all great. That's all awesome. But they're also like people like you, Renee is like a nurse. That's like, yeah, I literally ski on my days off and I have like one every three weeks and I'm exhausted. So if I get there at 10, it's a win. If I get there at noon, it's a win. And it's like, like you say, those are the people buying skis. Pro skiers get sent skis. I get, I got sent way too many skis last year. I have way too many skis at the moment. If anyone needs skis, let me know. Like we got a, a couple extra, you know what I mean? It's like, 
I, the people that are buying skis are the people who are the, who are the leisure skiers and they just need to be celebrated as far as I'm concerned. It's also 99% of the industry. Totally. Like they support that 1% who yeah. are getting the free yeah. skis. So it's like, why wouldn't you invest in them more? Yeah. And like a real example of increasing authentic, like, like engagement with these audiences and actually giving back to them and increasing diversity, all that kind of stuff. Um, like when we were talking to Jay from Jay Skis, he gave us an example and we've talked about it previously where he was like, you know, you have like a chick and you have like a couple sitting on a couch and they're watching a ski movie. Like one of them's going to want to buy new skis and one of them isn't. And Renee and I were like, yeah, but in your head, you're assuming that the chick doesn't want to buy, but we're like not making an assumption in our brains because that's a sexist perspective on who's mm. going to invest in buying gear. And right now he has 15% followership uh, on his Instagram that's female. The other is male. And that's not including like a non-binary audience. Um, and that's reflective of an inclusive, like a non-inclusive culture. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you start to pivot that, if you start to engage with them, if you start to inspire them, if they feel like trying's cool and there's space for them, you're going to increase their progression and increase investment in getting gear. So really all around, it benefits businesses to authentically engage with these groups and it, it, it benefits the community. Like it's a shift in popular culture from the top down. Oh my God. And that's what I I'm like, why are we still focused on this old, like, tokenism? It's crazy. Performative model. I was like, this just doesn't make sense. It's I just this industry for some reason is very behind. Well, it's everything. it's like you say, it's um, it's it's top heavy. It's like all the yes. it's like a pyramid where all the power is in the top of the pyramid, but the bottom of the pyramid is holding that pyramid up. One hundred percent. I used to work as the community manager for Solomon. I'm just going to, whatever, put them on blast, I guess. But it was like, let's go. <laughs> here we are. Like, <laughs> uh, and Leah Evans has been with Solomon her whole career. And she's done incredible work for women in skiing and with Girls Do Ski and, and her camps. Um, but we would go to these, they'd have this, like their collective every year here in Revelstoke. I mean, I was, I worked for them for two years. And so I went twice, but um, <clears throat> sidebar, one of the years they literally left me in Rogers Pass because I was too slow for the pro team. So that's a fun oh. story. And that's probably where my like leisure athlete, like re 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 revenge, maybe it's revenge. <laughs> so this the, is where it actually started. That's where it actually started. They were so fast and I had like old The story's suits. coming out. Rubens, <laughs> yes. Yeah, Chris Rubens had given me like an old ski suit. So I'd be like in a Solomon ski suit. It was like huge on me. And it was like when he was like wearing really like baggy stuff and it was like a men's suit and it was a large and I was just like drowning in it. And then there was like these skis and they were like these really heavy bindings. And I had resort boots and it was just a whole, and I got left, literally left. And then Leah and Chris waited at some point and I was yelling. I'm like on the skin track, but I was yelling and I like bushwhacked out and then I like, saw them and I just pointed my skis at them I was so tired and I like fell off a cliff on the way to them and like rolled through some alders and I like landed at Ruben's feet and he looked at me and he was like this is some girls do ski shit like <laughs> Leah was laughing but um it was it was a great it was a great moment but then I think like after that I was like yeah I was the community manager I am definitely never gonna be a pro skier but also as if these guys just don't value my life enough because I'm not a professional going at warp speed that they're like well she's not fast she must be a weak one we can let her die 
like, no, I deserve to live. So I think maybe that's where this has all come from. I'm like, <laughs> everyone deserves to live, uh, basically, if you're ski touring in a group. But sidebar, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, we we're talking about female skis and female. And yeah, so this whole this whole thing with women's skis with Solomon, like Leo would be like, <clears throat> if I could just um, say like I run camps every year and like approximately 150 women like come through those camps and literally all of them are skiing on skis that are too short for them like maybe we could talk about as a group like building some skis for women that are like appropriate lengths for women and they'd be like oh women don't buy skis like straight up like in these meetings she would just be like okay um I'm just gonna sit in the corner for a sec like she'd do it every year where she'd like pipe up and they would be like, mm, we don't know about women's skis. And then they put out the Rockettes, with the, which were rocker twos with pink top sheets. It was like, <laughs> it was like amazing. Now, ten, if you, whatever, six years later, you're like, LOL, looking back at it. It's like, that's how much shit's changed, even in like five years. You know what I mean? From people yeah. being like, oh, no, it's so men's ski with a pink top sheet. Like, I also, that is a statement that just like, it really validates the whole concept of gendering skis because they're fucking skis. Realistically, mm -hmm. it's a top sheet. There's a lot of gender neutral colors that are still sexy on each side of like mm -hmm. those connotative applications of gender. But they're like, women don't buy skis. And that influences their product design and their product breadth and their offering. So it is gendered with the sole purpose of discrimination, which is wild. It is. Oh, yeah. And it's like Tori was saying, like that conversation we had with, Jay, as soon as we pointed out, we're like, well, actually, like, in our brains, like, we are not making that same association. It was like a light bulb went off for him. Mm. Where he just like realized, oh, wow, like, I'm yeah. sexist. Right. Do like, you know that it, it's like, well, and like, I honestly, like, I don't want to hate on Jay. Like, he is almost 50. He's like that stereotypical guy that is like, Right. running ski industry and you know what he's trying and he's like really opening open to learning mm -hmm. he's so, growing like, he yeah like, sole purpose of helping him create more of an equal kind of communications platform which is something that we recommended it's awesome um but, but just like not seeing mm -hmm. that aspect of it yeah but that's I mean, a key aspect of privilege is not being able to see inequality well, that's just it that's just it Absolutely. and that's why that's why i said earlier like when you see the defensiveness, I'm like, it's just privilege. You just don't see it. Like yes. if you could give every person with privilege, just a bit of empathy, even like that would help because it's like, you don't have to like see it, but you just have to assume that maybe this person is telling you something and they're not just full of shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You want to know a really funny example? I think Wombcourt got a DM from this guy who was like, oh my God, I didn't realize that women don't have ski boots over a 115 flex. How do you guys do that? He just like all of a sudden clued into his privilege in gear design. And it was just like, he was absolutely bamboozled. Um, but I will tell you one inspirational thing with Solomon, actually Cody Townsend, MVP. We we really like Cody as well. We um, love Cody. <laughs> I got- I got to love. Yeah, I got feedback on the chairlift the other day from a Solomon athlete that Cody in their last um, like team meeting actually plugged Wumtang in as an example for creating more of an inclusive industry that's actually giving women equal opportunity. Cool. For education. And I was like, oh my God. It was kind of like, 
oh, yeah. man, our, our names in Cody Townsend's mouth and Solomon's aware. And then Solomon followed our uh, meme page recently. So maybe they're going to listen to this episode and be like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Time to <laughs> just, shine, boys. Just casually <laughs> on blast. Yeah. Just okay. ever so casual. I mean, I haven't been at those meetings in what, six years. I don't know what they're talking about now, but I just know that was my experience. And I remember being at them and my heart, I would just sit there being like, you know, you're so nervous to say something like yes. that you start feeling your heart pounding in your stomach, but you just sit there with your heart pounding in your stomach and then you don't ever say anything. Yep. That's what I would do in those meetings. <laughs> when I do that, then I bottle it up and then I call it verbal diarrhea because it comes out at an even more inappropriate time yeah. and a more inappropriate way. Yeah. So I'm trying and to work on like that in therapy. Six years, I start doing like stand up comedy about it publicly and like, <laughs> This is how I'm processing my experiences, but no, um, I don't, so I don't know that. I mean, this is my thing with it all. Like, I don't have, I'm like, I love men. I love, I don't know. I'm like, I don't, I can't get down with the, like being super angry because I think it creates an environment that makes people listen less. Cause they're like, then you run into that. There goes Teddy again. We should have made a drinking game where every time Teddy has the woofs, you drink. But Teddy, quiet. Mommy's working. She's paying for your kibble. <laughs> so I would say to him, I'm like, mommy's working. She needs to pay for your kibble. Shut up. <laughs> Teddy, quiet. quiet. He's like, this is my house. Yeah. He's like, I'm trying to protect you. Have you? Are you aware of the fact that we have neighbors? <laughs> neighbors. <laughs> um I can't remember what I was saying <clears throat> Teddy angry. oh angry the angry crazy. the angry woman stereotype just doesn't it grinds my gears it like really grates on me and I'm like I think that's probably why I've resorted to comedy with a lot of the subversive messaging that I'm trying to send is like it's comedy can be inclusive because it's like yeah we're, we're trolling your girlfriend, but also like you're kind of being an asshole. So it's like, who's in the wrong? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, it's just kind of like, it's relational in a sense. And I, I don't think that anyone listens when they're being yelled at. So, I mean, they teach you that first lesson in nonviolent communication. No one's listening if someone else is yelling. So in terms yeah. of like sending these messages, it's, or sending 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 information back to the industry at large or whatever it's like yeah you're just beaten you're pounding on deaf ears if you're yelling in my opinion yeah so it's i uh anybody who's followed me on instagram for longer than the last two years know i went through a very public angry feminist phase was it cute no did it happen yep um <laughs> but it uh even like with my family and stuff, because it used to make me so upset. The more that I learned about it, the more problems I saw. And I just, again, I felt like I couldn't do anything about it. And in order to make actual change, I had to learn how to like detach emotion from dealing with these things and then approaching it through humor. You're right. Like it does create, it's a more palpable environment to have hard conversations. Mm -hmm. And you can do it through a satirical, self-deprecating way where people actually listen. I actually wrote a paper on this um, for my pop or gender and popular culture class, which is a uh, feminist studies class. I'm a university in my last semester. And it had it was about a uh, like a trans, a, a trans man who was pregnant and the amount of 
uh, abuse that he had when mm. there was a publication about it. And it really showed transphobia uh, in the United States. And then he made the decision to try again, but he did it through more like through humor. So he was telling the story through stand-up comedy. Mm. And it was about how that difference in tone and approach mm. really changed and influenced people's minds. And the feedback he got after his first stand-up show that was publicized, you know, they were like, oh, I've never met a trans man before. Or like, I didn't know this. Or like, thank you so much. Like, this makes me feel better about telling my parents that I can have kids. And like, you know, it's just it's really interesting to see mm -hmm. how human behavior reacts to things unconsciously. So totally. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting, actually. Like, yeah, the, the, the humor element goes so far because it does. You feel included maybe in a way, instead of being told you're getting a slap on the wrist or you're, you know what I mean? Like you're in on the joke almost. I, we say that all the time when we're talking to our clients or the brands that we work with, we're like, when they get nervous about doing comedy we're like it looks better for you as a brand to be in on the joke than not in on the joke like yeah it speaks to a level of confidence in yourself as a brand and in yourself as a as a culture to be like we're comfortable to step into this territory via humor um because or versus like oh we don't want to say anything it's like well what are you trying to hide then or like what are you afraid of like you know, so we always kind of assure them that way. It's like, you gotta, yeah. take, you gotta take the leap because people, your audience is smarter than you are. So they are, yes, they are. And they, uh, they're very educated and, and unpacking nuances and messaging today. Yeah. It's, it's complicated, but, um, the world yeah. got like smarter and like started demanding it, everyone around it to be smarter almost. I feel in the last, yeah. it also got dumber in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> But let's yes. not get into that. <laughs> yeah. But it, it also like, yeah, I feel like it collectively started demanding more of its each other. And I think that's cool. Yeah. And transparency. Yeah. yeah. The consumers really value transparency. Yeah, they do. And authenticity, like mm -hmm. accountability. There's a lot of different things when you're studying the concept of brand equity that increase positive associations. Like even in the mishaps of a scandal, when we've consulted uh, businesses on how to recover, we explained that that accountability, that transparency, that actually leads to higher positive associations and you will actually gain a consumer following from it, which is 100%. really interesting. And a lot of people try to like cover it. They're like, oh my God, no, let's lie. I didn't do this. I was like, yo, just accountability, just, just say you freaking did it. Like you, yeah. it, it happens, bro. That's part of learning, but yeah. yeah. It's um, social media. We all saw it. <laughs> yeah, we yes. all saw it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Right? Mm -hmm. What did you, what is your, you said that you, did you go to law school? No, I was done. talking about it. No, I did a degree at McGill in political science, but I also discovered stand-up comedy in Montreal and filmmaking while I was at McGill. So I rolled out of there with like a solid 3.0 <laughs> and like <laughs> three short films and like started doing writing for this satire magazine, The Red Herring. And I was like very involved in like the creative culture there. And um, I like skipped African foreign policy, I think for three weeks because I was editing DJ Caps Lock, which was a <laughs> uh, movie we made in fourth year um, about a... DJ from an arbitrarily European EU com country coming to North America to achieve or to try to realize her dreams of becoming an international superstar and running up against a lot of 
yeah, nothing working in the DJ industry out for her. And I was like, it's such a stupid movie, but I was like obsessed with it in fourth year at 21 or however old I was. And I like, yeah, I was like African porn. Like, I just like, my degree is not as important as this, <laughs> which is funny to think about retrospectively, but cause it was obviously like my internal body being like, you want to create entertainment, like follow this now. And I was like, I'm going to run away from it for like five or six years, BRB. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I did a, I, I started a diploma in screenwriting at UCLA. Um, I did the first semester. I loved it. I was in LA, LA kicked my ass, but I had to move like four times in three months and or four months. It was like absurd. And LA is a really, really hard city. Like, Mm. especially because I was there on um in like this weird visa scenario and then I had to come back to Canada to do my job and do my second semester online and then we made dream job and dream job took off and I didn't finish the diploma I'm like a I'm like a year done I have a year to go and I just I'm just working now and then (laughs) this is always like a story. I'm like, I'll reserve this for the rap party of the movie that we're making in Tahoe. But when the producers reached out after they saw Dream Job and saw we were working on a, on a new thing, they were like, "We want to work with you. Like, have you have you got any screenplays in the works?" And I was like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I have a degree in screenwriting from UCLA." <laughs> and they were like, "Perfect, amazing. That's so great. You're like a pro." I'm like, "Totally, yeah." totally let's do it let's make a movie and I they were like great can you write a treatment I'm like googling treatment and I'm like yeah for sure and then I'm like send them over a treatment we went back and forth a few times and they're like all right like we want to hire you like did this whole writing agreement with my agents and my agents were like well you can only cheat this so far I'm like let's see how far I can cheat it like (laughs) like watch me let's go wrote the first draft and like a typical um comedy is like 115 pages I think I got this fucker to like 75 and I was like tapped out a max I got nothing else to give the formatting was like complete like it's it was a circus formatting wise it was like I don't even I was just like writing like like how I felt (laughs) like in the it was like and the producers saw the first pass and they were like we'd like to introduce you to a, a writer that we think they were so nice about it that we, we think you would work really well. I'm like, you mean a professional screenwriter that actually knows what they're doing? Cause yes, I would like to work with him as well. <laughs> them as well. And it was Andrew Ladd who's now become like a very dear co-collaborator and friend and is now one of the producers on this film and, and helped me basically turn this thing into an actual movie. Um, so it's, yeah, but it's pretty funny that I was just like, fully going like Elle Woods on it. I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, how hard can it be? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's so funny. That's like- Fake it till you make it. Yeah. <laughs> it was this... the most fake it till you make it moment ever. <laughs> there's this sound trending right now online. Um, this just tells you how much weird content I consume, but it's like a Rihanna interview. And they're like, what do you do when you wake up and you just don't feel like your boss self? She was like, fake it. Don't let them see you sweat. Just fake it. Yes. <laughs> like, I've got this. <laughs> Oh my God. That I just remember like I had two weeks after this shoot at, we had a vocal shoot at Micah and then we had, um, we had another, we had another one at, and I had like two weeks and I just looked at Colleen. I'm like, don't talk to me for two weeks. I'm going to the basement. And when I come out of the basement, 
I'll have a first draft of the screenplay that I don't know how to write. And I went down into the basement and two weeks later I came out, I was like, I got 75 pages. <laughs> That's all I got. Um, but it was enough. <laughs> it was enough to reach that critical mass to move us into the next chapter. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Teamwork I, I really... makes the dream work. That is for, that is, yeah. Yep. I uh... you make it. Teamwork makes the dream work. Age old, yeah. There you go. My boyfriend and I made breakfast this morning, and in my head, I was like, "Teamwork makes dream work." Let's go. It's like every aspect of our lives. But I, uh, my first marketing client that I got while I was still in university two years ago. Now I like sold them on all these things I could do, and they're like, "Yeah, cool." So here's money, do it. And I was like, "Fuck." (laughs) And the amount of time that I budgeted to do it, it took me three times that. Oh, for sure. For that's, my first time. That's but. freelancing 101. That's <sighs> in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been a really cool interview, but I think we unfortunately have to wrap it up. Yeah, it was great. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was sick. I just want to end with a little love note from uh, from Adam Jabber. You know, Aww. he like gave us some questions. He was like, okay, I have some questions for Katie. He was like, does it bother her that the nature of her humor may make people overlook the fact that she is may people overlook the fact sorry excuse me i'm just gonna reverse here does it bother her that the nature of her humor may make people overlook the fact that she is one of the hardest working and most intelligent people in our industry today much love kb stop oh not anymore (laughs) 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 um i mean i think if anything like the thing with putting work out during COVID online is I've just really missed live audiences. Like coach screened at Banff and then at Whistler Film Fest. And I was on a panel there and it was just so nice to like introduce the movie, hear people laughing, hear them gasp when head big crashes, like, do you know what I mean? Like just feel that energy. And I think if, if anything, like social media just, and putting work out that way makes me feel misunderstood, not necessarily overlooked, just misunderstood from time to time. And that causes me, yeah, small to medium amounts of anxiety. Um, Occasionally kind of they're cyclical because I'm a hormonal woman, but um, (laughs) it's like, uh, I'm more just, I'm more just fret, (laughs) if you will, um, about people um, misunderstanding my intention sometimes. Um, more than anything, but I do love an acknowledgement of hard work more than anything. Cause I'm Capricorn and we never stop working. <laughs> so, and Colleen is a Capricorn and we go hard in the paint, like all the time. Like we are, what are those, what are the like dogs that like run and you have to like stop running your dog cause they'll just run themselves to death. That's like what we are yes. kind of times. And yeah, that's so, my own dog. Yeah, <laughs> just more huskies. Like it's, I really appreciate when, uh, when people acknowledge the hard work. Cause I think <clears throat> sometimes um, part of showbiz is making things look easy. And there's so much not easy that goes into it. And I, a hundred percent, I love a hard worker and I love hearing that other people consider me a hard worker for some reason that like really that like tickles me more than anything <laughs> well happy wednesday yeah, adam jabbers closing this off on a tickly note <laughs> what a beauty what an absolute beauty that guy is 
<laughs> we we love Adam Jabber. He's MVP. He's a mm-hmm. good nugget, that one. So We would yeah. not be sitting here if Adam did not think that we should speak words on the internet. He's so, <laughs> He's so cool that he encouraged you guys to do this and it's like helping promote it and everything. I just love it. Yeah, it was weird. He was like, yeah, you say like things like cool things. I was like, you sure about that? It was like, I think I just vomit everywhere verbally a lot. <laughs> and he was just like, no, no, it's fine. I was like, okay, it's your funeral. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> but it's done well. So here yeah. we are. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I just, yeah, we love an ally moment like that. It's really cool. It is very cool. Well, um, I don't Thanks. know if you want to like plug anything, if you want to like introduce your new project to like boost the hype a little bit, or mm. we can just like cut it off cold turkey, but it's kind of your time to- Well, I want to yeah. boost, I want to boost Colleen Gensman, my DP editor. I want to boost Ryan Collins, my editor and photographer. And I want to boost Sophie Maltby, my assistant, my producer. Um, she does everything. She's creative. She's, yeah, Sophie's actually, yeah a genius. <laughs> they all are. All three of them are. Um, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing anything that I am doing if it were not for those three. So uh, them for sure. Uh, I'd like also to shout out to Andrew, Jared and Sig, who I'm working with out of Tahoe this winter and LA and, uh, yeah, keep your ears peeled for, um, some super exciting stuff coming down the pipe with, with realization films, um, out of Tahoe uh, this year. And thank you to everyone who messages me, um, and who listens to this stuff. And uh, I really appreciate my audience more than anything in the world. And, um, sorry if I've not responded to your DMS at some point or email at some point. Um, I truly value everyone that engages with everything that we're creating. So thank you. Preach. That was a, that was a good wrap up. Um, yeah. Happy New Year's, everybody. Happy New Year. Sorry, just like bounced for a month, but we're stoked to be back. And this was a banging first episode to start off what should be a really, hopefully, better year. COVID, let's go. We got this. See you on. Yeah. Or dream work. Sorry. I'm okay. (laughs) Thanks, ladies. Different year. Same bullshit. (laughs) Yep. I just work here. It's fine. Okay.